Welcome back to The Mentors. The mentors. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be hard for us to sync up The Mentors unison announcement today because I actually have Vadim on the line here from Italia. He is in, where are you, in Pisa? Uh, I'm in Tuscany. Uh, I am not in Pisa, but I did spend the day there today, which by the way, I will say for those of you that have not been to the Leaning Tower, it is trippy. When you're walking up there, you know, when you're on one half of the tower, it's a different grade of incline than it is when you're in the other half. So basically you're switching context as you're climbing up. It's hilarious. But it's well worth the 18 euros that it costs to get in there. Um, the view is amazing at the top. And Pisa is actually a really beautiful city. But no, I'm not in Pisa. I'm in a small uh, little Tuscan town, or maybe it's a city, I don't know, but it's called Vico Pisano. Well, thanks, Vadim, for dialing in all the way from Italy. Uh, it is actually, what is it, around midnight right now in Tuscany where you yep. are, but we wanted to make sure that Vadim was here for this discussion that we wanted to have today. We decided today to do a different type of episode for you and actually talk about a few of the questions that we hear entrepreneurs ask over and over again that we know they're afraid to ask because oftentimes we don't hear this until we've actually developed a close relationship with the founder. And so it's hard to find information about this stuff online. And it's just something that oftentimes comes up. And this is going to be a new segment where Vadim and I are going to answer questions, common questions that we hear entrepreneurs ask and we ourselves have had in our entrepreneurial journeys in the past that we were afraid to ask and that we didn't really know who to turn to to do so. Um, so we're going to focus on three questions today. And typically these come up uh, actually in private conversations. So as you know, Sergey and I both advise entrepreneurs literally on a weekly basis. And part of the benefit of meeting with somebody one-on-one -on -one repeatedly is after a while, the truth comes out. And you're not only talking about challenges that they face in generating revenue, for example, but also personal challenges and things that just kind of come up uh, as a creator, as an entrepreneur. And so we're going to try to highlight these in this segment. Again, as always, if you have a question that's burning inside that you've been wanting to ask somebody, you can ask us. We call ourselves the mentors for a reason. We're happy to be mentors to you, so to speak. So go to thementors.co Email us at vadim at thementors.co or surrogate at thementors.co with your specific question. And we're certainly happy to answer privately. But, you know, if it's a question that we think is relevant to uh, other people, then we might feature it in an episode of this segment, which is questions that entrepreneurs are afraid to ask and or questions entrepreneurs that ask us personally. And of course, we'll always keep information anonymous. So feel free to email us and uh, we'd be happy to share the answers to the questions because I'm sure if you have that question, somebody else does as well. So the first question that we're going to address is actually one that someone emailed me and asked me this morning, and they actually asked to meet with me to discuss this. And the question is, this is actually kind of verbatim what the person said to me in the email. They said that they're feeling a lot of anxiety right now because they're not sure if they're building the right thing and they're not sure if they're doing quality work. So how do I know that I'm building the right thing and that I'm actually doing the right work? And this is a technical founder that asked me this question. And as I was reading the email, before I even had a lot of information to go with, of course, I had to actually sit down with the founder to understand where the anxiety was coming from. But before I even met with the founder, I had a suspicion that part of the reason why they didn't know whether they were building the right thing is because they 
didn't understand the customer deeply enough or they haven't had enough conversations with enough customers to understand what they should be building when. So to address in part, one way that I would answer this question is how do I know that I'm building the right thing? Well, you have to have enough conversations with exactly the customer that you want to serve that you get to a certain depth of understanding of what their problems are. You understand how big those problems are. In other words, you can uh, prioritize which problems are more important than others. And you have enough of those conversations that you know that more than just one potential target customer have that exact problem. So there's multiple people in similar positions that have the same problem. What's the right amount of conversations to have? That's tough to say. You kind of have to figure out what is going to feel good for you, that you're going to be confident you're building something that solves an act of pain. I always say 20 to 30 conversations with the exact type of customer you want to target gives you some statistical significance that if you start hearing patterns about that specific problem, then and only then can you start addressing and then and only then can you start to figure out, okay, this is how I'm going to prioritize a feature set. Uh, how about you, Vadim? I mean, do you have any other thoughts around how you would answer this? Yeah, I mean, that's a good one. And actually, you know, when you said to have 20 to 30 conversations, that gave me a little bit of anxiety. And I'm <laughs> sure that uh, somebody that that's listening, you know, if, if they're full of doubt, they know they have to do customer discovery or talk to customers and validate the problem. It's obviously one of the hardest parts of building a business, but you do have to do it. That said, you're right. There's no set number. And to make you feel a little bit better, listener, if you listen to our episode with the founders of the Wandering Bear Company, we had the CEO on the show and they talked about how the very first business they had, they had the idea for a cold brew coffee. But the very first implementation of the business was they went after restaurants and they talked to 20 or 30 restaurants. They tried to sell them white labeled coffee and it just wasn't working. The pain clearly wasn't there. And then they got the idea of selling it to offices. And within two or three pop-ups, in other words, they would go to offices during lunch and they would give away free cold brew coffee. And within two or three of those, they saw the demand skyrocket. People were placing orders immediately and it just worked. It clicked. So yes, if you're sometimes when you're testing, you don't know the right answer. You have to have a ton of conversations. But sometimes if you hit on the right customer demographic, the right psychographic, whatever it is, you might find out pretty quickly that you are working on the right thing. You're getting those positive indicators early. So not to scare you away, it might not take 20 or 30 conversations. It might be faster, uh, but it is something that has to be done. And also, it's something that you have to be okay with doing for the rest of the life of your company. We always talk about Paul English uh, as an example, founder of Kayak, and he had a famously a phone in the middle of his office where it was a red phone and it would ring with a customer uh, that was calling in with a problem. And whoever was closest to the phone would have to pick it up. And Paul English himself would often answer customer calls even when Kayak.com was a massive company. So constant uh, feedback from your customers, understanding what they need is actually incredibly important even when the company is bigger. But yeah, I mean, if you're worried about Am I building the right thing? Uh, you probably need to talk to more people and do more than just whatever the preliminary research is or whatever the preliminary assumptions that you have. It's just something that has to be done. And the only way you're going to alleviate that anxiety is by having conversations that point you in the right directions. And trust me, once you do have a conversation with somebody that goes well, that gives you indicators that, oh, yes, I'm doing the right thing or, oh, I'm doing the wrong thing, but here's what I should be doing, you're going to feel great. It's going to be well worth the hard work. 
That's a really good point. Sometimes you just have to actually make sure you're talking to the right type of customer too. And I'll also add one other thing, and this came out during my conversation with this founder today. Part of it could be a lack of communication with your co-founders. If you're a technical founder, for example, and you have a CEO that's giving you certain product direction and product insights, and you know you find yourself agreeing on something and you start building and you realize, oh, this is too difficult or too costly, or maybe it's not the right time to build right now. Or, you know, I'm not actually sure if the customer really needs this right now, or we don't have the right uh, technical resources. Sometimes if you just keep that bottled up and you don't go back to your co-founder and reevaluate, if you don't have that constant flow of communication with your co-founder, then that could be the root of your anxiety and why you don't know what you're building. So, Making sure that you have a healthy relationship with your co-founder and you're always going back and forth and readjusting and reevaluating is really important. And that just that just means that you have to create a communication style and expectation of how often you communicate about product and product vision with your co-founder uh, that's going to work for your company. Well, the other thing I'll add as well is it's totally normal to have anxiety about making the wrong decision. This is why a lot of people don't become entrepreneurs. Uh, They don't want to put themselves in a position to have this level of stress. It's definitely not for everybody. But do realize that it's totally normal. And the more often you do it, and we always say this, you know, sometimes you just have to do something in order to get better at it. Obviously, practice makes progress. The more often you do it, in other words, make decisions and essentially force yourself to be okay with not knowing 100% if you're going to be right or wrong. Uh, the more you get desensitized to it and the better and quicker you get at making decisions very fast. Obviously, somebody, let's say like the president of the United States, he often has to make decisions uh, with minimal information. And after a certain point, you just realize, well, I'm the only one that can make this decision. I'm in charge. And so I need to make it or otherwise I'll risk uh, getting stuck and not moving forward. And that's worse than making the wrong decision. All right. So the next question that comes up all the time, and Vadim and I hear this, I don't know, I mean, at least on a monthly basis, if not more often, is what do I do if my co-founder is not pulling their weight? Or what do I do if I feel like I'm doing much more work than my co-founder? Now, what do you think, Vadim? This is definitely a tough one. You have to have some level of trust with your co-founder that they're going to do what they say they will and they kind of pick up the slack. But what if you feel like that's not happening? Like any relationship out there, you need to communicate, right? And sometimes you need to over-communicate. Obviously, your co-founders you end up spending probably more time with than your friends and maybe even in some cases, unfortunately, your family, depending on where the stage of the business is. And if you feel like your co-founder is not pulling their weight, you have to be willing to talk to them. Now, obviously, this gets a little bit complicated because people have different co-founder relationships. Sometimes they really depend on their co-founder for one reason or another. Sometimes one of them has much more seniority. There's all these complicated layers that come into it. But when you're building a business, you have to be okay with uncovering these layers, getting past again, that discomfort of maybe having, let's say, an awkward conversation and actually talking to them. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, For for a lot of companies and teams, it's actually just a lack of transparency and even expectation setting. Like sometimes a co-founder comes in and they think that running a startup is one thing and it ends up being different from the reality they thought it was going to be. And they're disappointed and they're harboring this resentment that, you know, you pulled them into this thing that was riskier than they thought they would. And you just never talk about it. And they start losing confidence. They start 
doing the work that you thought they were going to do. And it kind of gets left unsaid and ultimately resentment builds on both ends. So it's just important from the get go to set expectations around, you know, what is going to be the work requirement? How many hours a week or how available are we going to be? Is it going to be nights and weekends? Is it going to be, you know, we're going to work as hard as we can to figure this out. Basically setting all the expectations with your co-founder for time commitment and for what they're going to deliver as their part of the bargain, as far as their expertise, as far as the value to the company, as far as specific milestones that they are going to reach and ultimately that you are also going to reach. You guys have to be in alignment on that. But, you know, I will say that sometimes it just so happens that you set expectations properly and still you feel like this person is just not pulling their weight. They're not spending as much time. They're not as committed as I am. Well, hopefully you have something called vesting in place in your company where you didn't just allocate equity or shares in the company with everybody evenly and everybody gets their shares right away, it's based on time. And over time, you get to know whether that individual is contributing what they should be. And if they're not, then you have to have a serious discussion with them around whether this makes sense for them or not. And hopefully, if it doesn't make sense, and they really are not going to be the kind of person who's willing to dedicate the time to to make a company happen, then you might have to have a serious discussion about letting them go as a co-founder simply because it's not a fit. And there are, you know, there are other ways. I actually had a co-founder of a company come to me the other week where they had this exact same conversation with someone. And they told that person, well, you know what? We have equal equity share, and now that you're not, it seems like you're not really in it, we're going to have to drop your equity to something like, let's say, I think it was like from 30% to 5%. And of course, the guy was pissed. He's like, no way. I was equal founder of this company. I don't want 5%. That's not fair. And so we had a discussion around this, and I told him, look, you, of course, you can't surprise them with just taking away all their equity. Come back to them and say, what do you think? you can actually contribute to this company. What do you think you can achieve in six months or in 12 months? And let's create a plan where if within six months, you do not hit these milestones or you're not spending this amount of time per week on this business, then we'll drop your percentage lower because ultimately we're not going to be able to raise money or grow this company if you're just holding on to all the equity and you're not doing any work. I'll just shut down the company and I'll have to start over because it's just not going to be viable. So sometimes you have to create a milestone-based incentive structure if that's the thing that's going to incentivize this person to actually execute and to figure out whether that relationship is going to work or not. Now, two things come to mind. One, what if that person makes a promise that they're going to work towards the milestones, that they're going to get better? They come up with an excuse maybe and ultimately maybe even start putting in more work, but then eventually it drops off. What do you do? And the second question, what if you really depend on them? What if you hire somebody technical, they build a product, they know the code base, and you really can't do anything without them? What do you do then? Because you might really be worried about offending them and they'll go from doing little work to doing no work altogether. And then what do you do in that case? Yeah. So, I mean, this is where trust is so important when you're getting to a co-founder relationship and agreement to build a company together. If there's a risk that the person 
can hold the information hostage and not return it to you if they decide to stop working on it. That's a, I mean, that's definitely a risk. And you may have to create some sort of contracts ahead of time where it says that all the assets that are created and part of the company uh, belong to the company and not any individual person. So those are, this should be part of the employment agreements that you sign when you both become founders of this company and create the entity where you make those agreements. But your first question, what if they create this milestone based plan and then they you know just end up not hitting it and end up not actually delivering on what they said they will and they do fall off in the end well then hopefully you have the again the structure the corporate structure in place where you have the ability to fire them to vote them out you need to have enough equity for that that's where if that person has more equity and they all of a sudden stop doing the work you're pretty much powerless and you're just going to have to walk away and start a completely new entity because you're you're physically not going to be able to vote them out because you don't have the shares to do so that's why it's important to think ahead of time what the contributions are going to be from each side yeah i'll add a few more things for the second question what if you really depend on them i mean look starting a company or building any kind of important relationship is all about having contingency plans and so if you have one person that everything depends on you don't have any contingency plans you don't have any redundancy and therefore, you're creating this risk that doesn't necessarily have to be there. So sometimes that means getting help or getting somebody else and sharing that information, making sure that, you know, let's say if they own the code, making sure that they're uploading it to somewhere where you have access to it, that they're documenting everything so that you know exactly what's happening, that you're having meetings where you're understanding the details of the product. You can't be that hands-off if you're, let's say, building a technical product but know nothing about the technology. You need to be more hands-on. You need to have backup in form of documentation, if possible, commenting and things like that. And if possible, hire somebody else to help as well because then you're spreading the information and, again, you're de-risking against that person leaving. And, again, you can hire that other person with equity too. There are plenty of other people that may want to join an early stage opportunity. Then to answer the first question, what if they make a promise, uh, they start doing the work and they're pulling uh, their weight but then they kind of fall off again? then you might have to be honest with yourself. Are you doing the right work? You have to kind of check yourself before you wreck yourself. Oh, that's <laughs> terrible. Sergey, make sure you edit that out. Um, yep. <laughs> you have to make sure that uh, you're being honest with yourself that you are doing the work, the right work, because maybe they're not motivated because they're not seeing the business moving forward. Right. And so maybe they have been feeling for a long time that you're not pulling your weight and you might feel like you're doing a lot of work, but there's a difference between working hard and working smart. And ultimately, if your business is not progressing and you are defaulting to blaming somebody else and saying, oh, they're not doing enough work, sometimes that just means that you need to be honest with yourself. So make sure that you're constantly not only communicating with your co-founders and talking about how they feel about what the other person is doing and vice versa, but also that you're making sure that you're on the same page with the goals and that the tasks that you set for yourself, the most important tasks are actually getting executed against uh, and that you're having an internal meeting every week or every few weeks to, to know that you yourself are on the right track. And sometimes that means getting help from mentors and advisors and other people that are more experienced that can 
you know, honestly tell you, hey, you know what? It seems like you've been kind of stuck for a little while. You should be focusing on something else. Yeah, that's actually a very good point. Having a third party there, like a board member, advisor, mentor that can come in and level set and help you figure out whether both parties are executing in the way that they should be. Getting that external opinion, it can be a huge validator. So I really like that. The final question that we're going to address today that comes up all the time that people are confused about, partly I think rightfully so because there's not any one right answer is when is it okay to start paying myself? When should I start thinking about actually compensating myself for the work that I'm doing? And, you know, for some people, this question might be pretty obvious. Well, you know, pay yourself when you have money, but that's not There's kind of a a gray area here. I mean, you might be generating revenue, but should you be reinvesting that into the business? Or if you raise money from an outside investor, an angel investor, for example, you raise $100,000, can you spend half of that on paying yourself? Or can you spend all of it on paying yourself? You know, what is the right number here? And when is the right time? So I'll start addressing that question in, in one way. First of all, everybody's situation is different. But if you are someone that is, let's say, a first time entrepreneur, or someone that are not independently wealthy, or you have student loans, or whatever other myriad of other factors where you absolutely have to pay yourself as soon as possible, then when you're going out and fundraising, even if you're fundraising a small amount, I would say that it's okay to set the expectation that you're going to use some of that money to pay yourself. Just be upfront with the investors that that's what you're planning on doing. Now, if you're raising $100,000 and you're using all of that to pay just you, you know, some people might raise their eyebrows, but if you raise, let's say, a couple hundred thousand dollars and, you know, you're paying yourself a really nominal fee just enough to survive and pay rent and eat food. I would venture to say most investors, if not all investors, are going to be okay with that and they understand that you need to be able to survive. So just make sure you're setting those expectations early on. But what thoughts do you have, Vadim? You know, I actually think it's a red flag if somebody hasn't paid themselves in a long time because, and and they maybe could have already. You know, they might not be generating a ton of revenue, but they're generating enough, uh, or maybe they raise some money or whatever it is, where they can pay themselves at least something. I mean, look, you have to live. And you have expenses. And what's the point of starting a business if you're not going to compensate yourself, if you're not going to be seeing some of the benefits of your hard work directly? And so I would say that uh, not only is it totally okay to pay yourself, it's also okay to do it whenever you think it's possible. Now, again, when you're building a business, when you're working this hard, typically the smart entrepreneurs and smart founders they won't want to pay themselves every single dollar they're making anyways. Why? Because if you're motivated enough, if you have the right kind of uh, mentality about building this business and creating whatever it is you're working on, then you're going to want for it to grow and get better and improve and constantly be moving in an upward trajectory or moving forward. And the only way to do that is to reinvest into the business. So you should have an innate motivation to not pay yourself every dime that you make, uh, let's say, in revenue or every dime that you raise from an investor, let's say if it's from friends and family, because then the business will halt. There must be other expenses, other things that you can spend money on other than just yourself that would help the business grow. And if you have the right motivation in place, you will feel that innately. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And and just to add a little bit more color to that, to sum up to what Vadim and I just said right before that, 
pay yourself as little as you possibly can, just enough to survive until the company is healthy enough and your revenue is predictable enough where you can afford to pay yourself more. And just again, to give you a number, for a lot of founders that we've seen when they raise a seed round of anywhere from, let's say, half a million dollars to $2 million they've raised, and the expectation is they're going to use some of that money to hire people and cover costs, etc. That's when they start paying themselves anywhere from $60,000 to $100,000. It's very common for people to pay themselves sixty dollars to $80,000 with the first money that they raise. Once they raise more, say $3 million or $5 million or $10 million, then they can pay themselves a market rate, a market executive rate at a small, you know, growing company. So that could be more like 120,000, 150,000. As much as you might pay your other high-level employee or high-level engineer or executive vice president type of person that you might hire. But that's not until you've raised a significant amount of capital. And finally, if you're an independent company that's just, let's say, an LLC and you never raise outside capital, then once you're generating enough cash flow and you have big margins, I mean, if you have three employees and you have half a million dollars in revenue and your employees are costing you $200,000, you can pay yourself as much as you want depending on how quickly you want the company to grow. So there's no kind of written down rule here. It just depends on whether you're going to stay capitalized internally, whether you're going to raise external funding, and how healthy and growing your company really is. Yeah. And of course, don't forget to account for taxes. (laughs) A lot of people will start paying themselves and then forget that they actually have to pay taxes as well, not only on the revenue that the business makes, but also on your income tax. And so you do have to keep that in mind too. But the question of when, well, you, it's more of a gut feeling of when. We just had the founders of Slumberkins on the show and those two women were brand new moms and they were paying themselves very, very little in the beginning. Uh, I think it was just a couple hundred dollars a month that they were getting. Was it from some kind of uh, maternity leave benefit, right, Sergey? Yeah, that's right. They were essentially splitting a very small amount uh, by themselves. Go check out that episode about Slumberkins uh, if you haven't heard that story. But eventually, they were making more and more money, and they were still reinvesting a lot into the business. But brand new moms, you have to pay yourself, and so therefore, obviously, they were paying themselves a little bit more as they were growing. But remember too that you're working on the business all the time, so oftentimes. Paying yourself can mean, you know, let's say you're going to a conference and you're buying a flight and hotels. Well, that's an expense for the actual business because it's a business trip. And not only is that helpful when uh, writing off expenses for income purposes, but again, that's not some money that has to come directly from you or your savings account, for example. It can come from the revenue you're generating. It can come from money you raised, and uh, it should because that is an operating expense. So it might feel like you're spending it on yourself, but you're not. Yeah. And also, if you're spending a lot of money up front, for example, to get the company off the ground and you know later on you're going to raise significant capital, keep track of those expenses and you can use the funding that you raise later on to essentially pay off that debt that you gave to the company early on by spending money out of pocket. So don't feel like you're never going to make that money back. I mean, of course, if the company fails and you don't raise money, then sure, you're risking never making that money back. But you can also think of the initial investment that you make as a as a loan, essentially, zero interest loan that the company will pay you back in the future once it is making enough money. So do make sure that you keep track of those expenses early on. All right. So hopefully you enjoyed this segment about answering questions that founders and entrepreneurs are typically afraid to ask or information that's just not easy to find uh, online. And 
We're going to continue this segment. If you liked it, please feel free to email us if you have ideas for questions you want us to answer. And the next time we do this kind of thing, Sergey at thementors.co or Vadim at thementors.co. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with an entrepreneur or a friend who wants to be an entrepreneur or a creator because we think it might be helpful for them and we'd love to reach them if we possibly can. So any help that you might have in sharing this with a friend or leaving a review if you enjoyed this episode would be super helpful. And thanks, Vadim, for calling in from Italia, yeah? Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, I, I love doing the show with you, Sergey. I'm glad that we were able to make it work, even though there's a six-hour difference. It's 12.20 right now. I think I'll have a glass of wine. I'm staying in a, a villa here on a farm. Uh, there's nobody here. I'm all alone, basically. And I kind of wanted that because I was in Florence earlier today. I was in Rome before that. I had the wedding. There's been a lot of social activities. It's been a ton of fun. Now I'm going to have time for myself, uh, but it's fun doing the show. And hopefully if you liked it and find value. It would be super helpful if you could share it with at least one friend. We are committed to bringing this show to you every single week, even if one of us is traveling. Sometimes like on Sunday, Sergey or I will do the show alone, but whenever possible, we try to do it together and give you both of our insights because two heads are better than one. And uh, again, if you found this valuable, we'll continue to send you our voices through the stratosphere from Italy or Hong Kong or Mexico City or wherever we are. Uh, but we do ask that you please share at least with one friend, one or two friends, send it to your WhatsApp group. If you find the episode valuable, uh, it would be awesome for us because we like doing it. And if you get value out of it, that's all that matters to us. All right. Thanks a lot. And we'll see you next week. All right, Sergey, I'll see you on Friday. Ciao. Ciao, Bella. Bello. Ciao. Ciao, arrivederci. Oh, perfect timing. Pumpkin jump into my lap. <laughs>